Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 22. I remember 2013 like it was yesterday. When uh, Denise and I finally got up enough nerve to ask one of the nurses if the signs that Emily were having were signs of leukemia. (laughs) And the nurse answered back quickly. She said, You don't have to worry about leukemia. What you need to worry about is aplastic anemia. Now, she probably shouldn't have said that since Emily hadn't been diagnosed with anything yet. But the reason why she said that is because leukemia in children has like a 90% cure rate. And with aplastic anemia, it's nothing near that. In fact, when we went to the internet, they told you not to look on the internet. You didn't want to look at it. Well, the next afternoon, Emily had a bone marrow test, and we got the news that she had aplastic anemia. We were stunned. And I remember driving and bargaining with God. <laughs> You're not supposed to bargain with God, but I did. And I, and I said, God, what do I need to do so she doesn't have to do this, so she doesn't have to go through this? And I just really, I, the, distinctly remembering this impression that said, it's already been done for you. Amazing. We were facing, and Emily was facing, the greatest trial of our lives. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. And God answered our prayers. You all know that. Um, But that's where we find ourselves this morning in Genesis 22, where Abraham faces the greatest trial of his life. And the question is asked of Abraham. The question is asked, it's not asked directly, but through the circumstances of his life, the question is asked, do you love me? God's asking it. Do you love me more than anything else? More than even your only son. Look at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of God. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am, and he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, if you could think of one word, One word that describes Abraham, what would it be? It would probably be faith, right? Abraham is known for his faith. He was a great man of faith. He was the father of the faith. But this characteristic wasn't built in a day in his life. This was a product of 50 years of growth before Genesis 22. You remember two weeks ago we talked about how God had called Abraham from Ur and how he called him to leave everything he knew, his family, his friends, his occupation, everything, to go to a place that he knew nothing about. And to follow after God, whom he only probably knew about as much as could be written on a piece of paper. You know, in those days, families stuck together. If one side of the family had a problem, the other side helped out, right? It kind of reminds me of a kid in college writing home to his dad and saying, Dear Dad, no mun, no fun, your son. Dad replies back, Dear son, too bad, so sad, your dad. You know what? Abraham moved 600 miles away from Ur. And you know what? That might as well have been 6,000 miles because they didn't have wire service. They didn't have emails. They didn't have anything, right? And if Abraham failed, his family would die. He could only trust and depend on his God. 
Listen to what one writer says. He says, For Abraham, faith meant abandoning all trust in his own resources and abilities and reasoning, the things that we see. And it meant relying instead on the things that we cannot see, God's promises, his provisions, and his concern for us. An inner attitude alone does not define faith. Though for faith to be present, action is required. Faith proves itself by its obedience to the Lord. And Abraham's faith was like a muscle. It's like working out at the Y weekly, lifting weights. You start out with five pounds, you keep adding on, and what happens? Your muscle grows. And that's what God was doing with Abraham in the small trials of life, preparing him for the major trials of life. In Genesis 15, as we saw two weeks ago, Abraham was told that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. And you know how old Abraham was at that time, at that point? He was 85 years old, and his name, you know, was Abram, which meant a father of a multitude, and he didn't have a child one. But instead of looking at his body that was as good as dead, he took God at his word. He rested in God's promise instead of looking at his own circumstances. And God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now can you imagine the trial that he faced and what he struggled with for 35 years? He and his wife wanted to have children. 35 years. And if there's any of you that have ever dealt with infertility, you know what a struggle that is. Every month, month after month, hearing from your wife, no, not yet. Abraham went through 34 years, 408 months of no, not yet. Think about that. Abraham had grown from his 50-year walk of faith where God had provided abundantly for him all that he could ask and think, and finally, God provides him with the promised son where he could actually touch the promise of God. And because of this, Abraham was now prepared to face the greatest trial of his life. Look back at verse 1. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, think about this. Abraham had everything he wanted at this point in his life. He had two sons. He had a wife. He had everything. He was becoming rich. 
And if he could stop the sand in the hourglass at that point, I'm sure he would have. But God knows that a comfortable life is not always a great motivator for a growing faith. Listen to what um, Paul Tripp says about that. This is the book that we're studying in discipleship class. Paul Tripp says this, This is where we tend to have an agenda conflict with our Lord. We don't tend to get very excited about being Christ-like and holy. Instead, we get excited about being around people who love and affirm us. We get excited about children who grow up and do what is right. We get excited about making plans that actually come true. We get excited about physical health. We get excited about investments that have a good return. We get excited about having a safe, successful, stress-free, and predictable life. The problem with all of these things is not that they are wrong to desire. The problem is that we have settled for far too little. And we are surprised, shocked, and disappointed when God shakes them in order to refine us. You see, God has planned more and better things for us than we even want for ourselves. He is not content for us to be content with situational and relational ease. He will settle far he will settle for nothing less than we become partakers of his divine nature. That's what God was doing in the life of Abraham. And that's what he's doing in our lives. So look at verse 1 again. God tests Abraham. And here the word for test in the Hebrew is nasah. And it, this is the first time this word is used in the entire Old Testament. And the idea here is testing a person that you're in covenant with. Now, what was required of Abraham in this covenant? Do you remember? Two weeks ago, God walked between the animals, right? What did Abraham do? What did he do? Nothing, remember? What was required of Abraham was faith in God. Faith in God. One writer says this, Faith is the vital element. Faith means to treat Yahweh as reliable, to trust Him, and to believe that He will faithfully and lovingly keep His promises and honor His obligations. In this story, God is testing Abraham to see if he loves God more than anything else, even more than his son. And that he will trust God in keeping his promises no matter what the obstacle is. Now look at verse 2. It says this. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Do you notice I skipped a word there? 
take your son. God is specific here. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. He says, Isaac. Because Abraham might be tempted, if he didn't say Isaac, to take Ishmael. Not that Abraham didn't love Ishmael, but he knew that Isaac was the promised son. And I'm sure at this point he's totally confused, trying to figure out, what are you doing, God? Why did you call me out of Ur? Why did you promise me descendants as the stars in the sky? Why did you tell me all that? And then why did you fulfill the promise, give me the son, and now you're telling me to go and kill him? You, you can understand his struggle. I mean, that's what the heathen nations all around Abraham were doing. They were sacrificing their sons and their daughters in the fires of Moloch. They were sacrificing them to false gods. And so Abraham's sitting there going, what are you telling me to do? I, am, in fact, had a person ask me once, why would God command Abraham to do something that's against his law? Well, one, for one thing, there was no law yet, right? The law didn't come until 430 years later. But still, Cain killed Abel, and murder was wrong, right? But God never intended for this to be fulfilled. This was a test. This was a test for Abraham. And you can imagine the struggle that he was going through. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took the two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Now, theologians struggle with this verse all over the place. I mean, because it makes it sound like he just got up in the morning and got his son ready and was singing zippity doo You know, zippity doo Like, it's another day. Let's go sacrifice my son. Do you think that's what it was like? I don't think so. In fact, in fact, one commentator says this, it's not that Abraham rose early in the morning to take his son to sacrifice him, but that he didn't sleep at all that night. Have you, ever been, have you ever had God wanting you to do something that was hard to do, like confronting somebody in their sin, and knowing that you're going to do it the next day, and not being able to sleep the whole night? I believe that's what Abraham was going through. So he gets up to get it done. God took Abraham from his comfort zone to a place where he could grow in his faith. And years ago, I went to a banquet. It was an FCA banquet, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, in Florida. And I went to this banquet, and the speaker was Mercury Morris. Um... For you guys that don't know who Mercury Morris is, 
uh, greatest running back. No, he wasn't the greatest. But uh, Miami Dolphin, 1972, won every game, won the Super Bowl. He, along with Larry Zonko, he was fast. Larry Zonko was big. Um, Mercury Morris spoke at this, and, and he basically said how God had taken him from here down to here to teach him something. You know, here's, here's this guy that was famous, you know, Super Bowl teams, Super Bowl ring, had money, had everything, right? And then 10 years later, he's in jail. So God took him out of his comfort zone to a place where the only place he could look up is look up to God. And in jail, he learned that he couldn't depend on his circumstances. He had to depend on the one who was in control of all of his circumstances. And he came to know Christ. What is God calling you to do? That if you obeyed him, you would be taken from your comfort zone. Maybe he's calling you to give the gospel to your neighbor or to somebody at work. And maybe you're thinking right now, there's no way I could do that because I wouldn't know what to say. And if they asked me a question, I wouldn't know how to answer it. But you know what? We walk by faith. Trusting that God will provide us when we have that opportunity. Maybe he's calling you to lead a small group. Maybe he's calling you to lead a Bible study. Maybe he's calling you to pray for somebody every day. Maybe he's calling you to apologize to somebody. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your child. Maybe he's calling you to trust him with your finances to be able to start tithing to his kingdom work. God many times calls us from our comfortable lives to test our faith and to test our love. And that's what was happening to Abraham. Look at verses 4 and 5. Look at verses 4 and 5. If I can keep this page. On the third day, Abraham rose, raised his eyes, And saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Now, during those three days, I can imagine as he's traveling along, he's thinking, How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? But he continued on. And you know what? Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us what he was thinking about during those three days. It says this, and this, this just blows me away every time I think about this. Hebrews eleven nineteen says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. We're talking resurrection here, Right? You think 4,000 years of history back, we talked about two weeks ago 
we were talking justification by faith, right? In Genesis 15. Now, in, in Genesis 22, we're talking about resurrection. I don't think in Genesis, there's no mention of resurrection. Hebrews is telling us that Abraham had come to a place as he's walking along thinking, how am I going to do this? That he finally came to the point where he figured out, if I plunge this knife into my son, I believe that God is going to keep his promise so much, I believe it, that God will raise my son from the dead. Can you believe that? That God would raise his son from the dead. That's how much Abraham believed the promise of God. That is amazing, isn't it? Now, how do I know that he was thinking that? Look at verse 5 again. What does verse 5 say? He's talking to his servants, right? And he's saying, we will worship and then, what does he say? We. Not, and it's not he and his camel will come back. He's saying, we will come back to you. The we there is Abraham and his son Isaac. <laughs> he believed in the resurrection. Not only did he believe the gospel, right? But he believed in the resurrection. Look at verses 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his, Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now let me ask you, in these verses, do you see anything in the fine print? Do you see fine print that says God's going to provide a lamb? There's no promise there. There is no promise there. Abraham did not have a promise. He was just giving his son hope. And, and it reminds me of a story R.C. Sproul told about one of his flights, and I think it was his last flight because he was known not to want to fly. He always went up by rail after this. Um, he was in a small little puddle jumper, you know, when you're going from a 20-minute flight, uh, and it was a little dinky plane, and it went into a lightning storm, and they were thrown all over the place, you know, bouncing off the roof of the plane. I mean, it got so bad, he, he said, this is it. You know, we're going down. You know, I'm coming home. Um, it was bad. And a little boy was sitting next to R.C. Sproul, and the little boy said, this is bad, right? And he said, yeah. And then the little boy said this. He said, this is my first flight. You know, and R.C.'s thinking, oh, my. And so he's trying to summon up as much courage as he can. And he says to the little boy, he goes, he goes we're going to make it, son. We're going to make it to the airport. 
deep down inside, R.C.'s probably thinking, we're not going to make it, right? And that's why he probably never flew again. Abraham was doing that for Isaac. Isaac goes, where's the lamb? God will provide. God will provide. Look at verses 9. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar, and there he arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, at this point, I think Isaac should have gotten a clue, right? This is probably an IQ test for Isaac. Um, Does he get what's going on here? And I'm sure he had seen enough sacrifices to know, whoa, dad's tying me up. This isn't good, right? But here's the amazing thing. Think of this. Isaac is a teenager. Abraham's about 120 years old. Isaac didn't have to do this, did he? He could have said, Dad, you're losing it. I'm out of here. You're not tying me up. But he didn't do that, did he? He willingly allowed his father to tie him up and to put him on the altar. Look at verses 10 through 14. Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. So he's got the knife. He's ready to, he's ready to do it. And then, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Can you imagine hearing that? I bet you that was the fastest knife drop in history. You know, Olympic knife drop. He got a gold medal for dropping that knife. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God that day provided a substitute for Isaac. A lamb would be shed in the place of of Abraham's only son. God provided a substitute, and 2,000 years later, along the same ridgeline, Mount Moriah, another substitute died in our place. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, one writer says this, the story of Abraham and Isaac is a typology, a picture of God giving his son for the sins of his people. Look at the comparison. The 
Father is called to sacrifice His only begotten Son, whom He loves, just as the Heavenly Father sacrificed His only begotten Son. The Son is sacrificed on Mount Moriah, just as Jesus is sacrificed along the same ridgeline. Isaac was under the threat of death for three days, just as Jesus was under the power of death for three days. Isaac carried the wood that would burn his flesh, just as Jesus carried the cross that he would be nailed to. And Isaac, in the obedience and love to his father, willingly, willingly offered himself a sacrifice, just as Jesus willingly offered himself a sacrifice for us. The parallels in both of these stories are amazing, especially since there's 2,000 years between the two. God takes his son, his only son, whom he loves. And the same story is rehearsed, except with one great difference. When God raises his hand to kill his son, nobody yelled, stop. Nobody yelled, stop. God took the knife and he plunged it through the heart of his son. He spared nothing, and that is the basis of our redemption. And that's the kind of God that we serve who would kill his only son so that we can live. And when you think of a love like that, I said, I said this two weeks ago, when you think of God's love and how much he has shown his love for each one of us who names the name of Christ, what should be our response? You know, and I said this two weeks ago, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, and my all. And you know what? That's what Abraham did. He was willing to give everything. Everything. Even his son. The Lord's Supper is a weekly reminder and a weekly call to be accountable to a God, to our God, out of love. Why did God test Abraham? To see if he loved God more than anything else. And this morning... Before you partake of this meal, I, I just want you to ask one question of yourself. Is there anything that I am loving more than God in my life at this time? You know, and, and this idol could be as subtle as envy or as obvious as, idol, as adultery. And if God reveals an idol in your life, the proper response 
is repentance. His forsaking of the sin and turning back to God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your infinite love for us. We thank you that you have promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Father, help us to respond to your overwhelming love by loving you more than anything else. Father, we thank you that you have given us eyes to see the idols in our lives. And we thank you for the gift of repentance that enables us to turn from these idols and turn back to you. Father, we thank you for the great example of Abraham, for his great faith and his great love for you. Help us to emulate his life through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory and your glory alone. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.